Open your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Our scripture reading came from there this morning. I want to remind us about some things here that the Hebrew writer tells us. The first word there in Hebrews 12 verse 1 is therefore. And in Bible classes I often say, what is the therefore therefore? Well, it means in light of what I just said, now listen to this. And in chapter 11, we know, Bible students know, the great chapter on faith. The Hebrew writer tells us many examples of those who have demonstrated faith over the years and calls them out as examples and, and, and reminds the readers that these things have been done in the name of the Lord and by faith. And so he says in there in chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, since, since we have all these examples around us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Sometimes easier said than done, right? We live in a world that, that presents entanglements all the time. We live in a world where sin is rampant. Yet the, the Hebrew writer tells us to put all that aside and run with endurance the race that is set before us. That means we need to be moving forward. We need to realize that we cannot stay in one place, that we need to be moving forward, that we need to be searching after the goal. And that goal is eternal life in heaven when this life is over. So I want us this morning to ask this question of ourselves, are you entangled? The Hebrew writer says to uh, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. So there's an admission there that sin easily entangles us. So are we entangled? Are you entangled? Am I entangled? So this morning I want to think about that. And I want to think about uh, some questions that we can ask ourselves and hopefully see very clearly the scriptures and, and, and the plan that God has for his children. Yes, there's a problem with sin and entangling us, but yes, there is a remedy for it. So let's start with, with this. What is it that entangles you? Lots of ways to ask that question, to answer that question, isn't there? What entangles you? Let's ask, let's ask it this way. Do you love the things in this world too much? Look over in 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. Beginning in verse 15. He says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. You see, there's a, there's a problem that's inherited in our situation is that we live in the world, but as we often say, we're not to be of the world. The illustrations and the examples of, of us as sojourners as pilgrims passing through this world on our way to somewhere else. 
That's the example that strikes a chord with me. We're just passing through this world. If we get bogged down in things of this world too much, that can entangle us. We can be entangled by the things of the world. And John states it as, you're just, you love the world too much. That's where your heart is. If you love the world too much, that's where your heart is. That's why it's going to be easier to entangle you. So do you love the things in the world too much? If you, if you do, I, I have some very bad news for you. It's going to entangle you. It's going to drag you down. Because look what he says there in verse 17. The world is passing away, and also it's lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. See, there's the out. There's the way of escape. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. Do you strive after wealth? Closely related to what we just read, but a subtle difference. Look over in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Familiar passage to us. Beginning in verse 9. It says, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare which many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. You know, this is this kind of a subset of what we just read there in 1 John. This is, this is the love of wealth in particular, striving after wealth. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation. Do you strive after wealth? If you do, you're setting yourself up to be entangled. You're setting yourself up to be pierced through, as, as Paul writes it here. Love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Not the love of money is the root of all evil. That's how it normally gets said, right? Look at the wording carefully. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. So it's the striving after the money that's the problem. It's the love of the money. Love to get wealth. Are, are, are you striving after wealth? If you do, you're setting yourself up for that entanglement. You're setting yourself up for being dragged down, encumbered, as the Hebrew writer puts it. Are you holding on, or beg your pardon, are you holding back and serving the Lord? Look over in Acts chapter 5. It's a good example here of, of um, the wrong attitude when it comes to serving God. In Acts chapter 4, towards the, the end of the, of the chapter there, verse 34, it says, For there were not, not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds to the, of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And it would be distributed as each had need. This is in the early foundation of, of the church. And the disciples have come together there in Jerusalem. And they've, they've heard the, the lessons from Peter. And, and they, they realize that they are now, those who have been baptized, have been baptized into the kingdom. And they realize that there's a, there's a, there's a, a brotherhood. So they're sharing amongst themselves as, as any have need. Voluntarily. It says they, they sold their things and they would bring the proceeds and they would lay them at the apostles' feet. And then we have Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5. Verse 1, But a certain man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge, 
And bringing a portion, a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. See, so right there we, we see what's, the, the, the details there are very important. He sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge, so she is not innocent in what's being done here. Bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. He held some of it back and brought the remainder and laid it at the apostles' feet. The example we have before that is people were selling their, their land and they were bringing their proceeds and giving it to, putting it before the apostles. Verse 3, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to keep the Holy Spirit, uh, to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain in your own? And after it sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. You see, the, the problem here is not in the amount. The problem here is in the attitude. The problem here is, is deceiving, holding back some of the wealth and just giving the remainder to God, essentially. Verse 5, it says, And when he heard these words, Ananias fell dead and breathed his last, and great fear came upon those who heard it. We also know that his wife Sapphira would come in later, and the same fate would befall her, because she knew about it too. Makes it very clear that she was uh, complicit in this. What can we draw out of that? We can draw a lesson there about holding back. These are free will offerings that are being given. But Peter, led by the Holy Spirit, recognizes that, that Ananias here is trying to be deceitful. He's holding back. He's not giving all that he has to God. So the example we can draw out of that is, are we holding back from serving the Lord? Our offerings are free will, and this is really not a, the, 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 a lesson on that. We'll, we'll talk about that sometime in the future, that you know, we need to, to be giving of our means every first day of the week as we've been commanded to do. And if we're not doing that, why? But in our lesson this morning, we'll understand that holding back is very dangerous. What are we holding back from serving God? Is it in, in slipping in attendance? Is it neglecting daily Bible study? Is it neglecting Bible study, period? Is it neglecting the brethren? Is it ne neglecting what you should be doing? As far as a child of God, see, God expects us to give us, give us, us, he expects us to give him our all. And when we hold back, we can be entangled by that. That can encumber us in our service to God. These are just a few things to think about. We can certainly be uh, entangled by the things and the cares of this world. And that's what's being spoken about there in Hebrews 12. But I want to ask this question now. Are you truly entangled? Are you truly entangled? And I ask it in the light of a few passages here. Look in Romans 8. <clears throat> Paul so beautifully asks this question in a sense. And he is asking it in such a way in Romans 8 and verse 35 beginning, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So are we truly entangled in light of what Paul is writing here? He says, 
who shall separate us from the, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep before the slaughter. You know, we, we might fall into that. We might be able to fall into that uh, thinking is that poor me. All these things have beset me. All these things are, are separating me from the, from the love of God. Paul makes it clear as he continues, verse 37. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when we might think that we are uh, being put to death all day long and considered as, as sheep to the slaughter, Paul says we more than overcome. We are more than conquerors because none of these things can separate us from the love of God. All these external things can entangle us if we lose sight of what Paul is saying here. And he's saying that none of these things can separate us from the love of God. We might be drugged down in this world and have these things that we might be dealing with and all these things that can serve to encumber us. But Paul says we're more than conquerors. Why? Because these things truly can entangle us if we focus our eyes on Jesus Christ. So are we truly entangled in, in light of what is said in John 10? Let's go there. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Our Lord speaking here, verse 27 beginning. He says, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I shall give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, for no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus uses this analogy often about the shepherd and his sheep. And he's using it here, saying, My sheep... They follow me because they know my voice. That's a recognition of Jesus. That's an understanding of Jesus. And we know that through reading the word of God. So if we want to know the shepherd more and know what his voice sounds like, we need to read the word of God. And then we know the shepherd and we know his voice. And he says that no one can come and snatch you away from me. No one can do that. So are we truly entangled if the Lord says that no one can snatch you out of my hand? He says that my Father and I are one. No one can take him away from the Father, so that means they can, no one can take you away from me. So are we truly entangled if Jesus himself says no one can take you away from me? Are we truly entangled in light of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10? This is a familiar passage I alluded to it a minute ago. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you by such, uh, but such that is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. So, 
<laughs> we think about we're being dragged down, if we're being put upon, if we are sheep to the slaughter. Paul says here that nothing's going to tempt you more than what's common to the next guy or the next lady. Common to man. The temptation is common to man. We might think that we have it terrible in our own peculiar, particular way. Paul says, you know, we're all tempted. It's common to man. But what's more important in understanding is that God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Do we believe that? Where's our faith? Where's our faith? If we are down on our luck and down on, entangled in the things of this world, where's your faith? Scripture says, the word of God says, you're not going to be tempted beyond what you're able to endure. And with the temptation comes a way of escape. Isn't that a blessing? Not only is the temptation not so much that we can't bear it, but there's a way of escape. Our faith is key in that, isn't it? We have to have the faith that God is doing that for us. Sometimes it's hard to see. But that's where our faith comes in. Helps us to see that way of escape. We might be able to endure whatever it is that we are enduring at the time. Are you truly entangled? Let's ask these questions now. If you think you're entangled, who is it that's entangling you? I'm going to give you some knots first. I'm going to start with this. It's not God. God's not entangling you. God's done a lot for us. Look over in Galatians chapter 5. You know, we, we mentioned this in, in um, beg your pardon, chapter 4 of Galatians. What did God do for us? He sent his son. Paul writes it this way in Galatians 4, beginning of verse 4, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. What has God done for us? Has he entangled us with, with the cares of the world and, and given us such a, a terrible burden that we, can, we cannot be his children? No. Paul writes that in the fullness of time came, God sent his son. How can we possibly expect to have salvation, expect to be forgiven of our sins if it doesn't come through God? Think how lost we would be without God's grace. Think how lost we would be without the, the, the sacrifice of our Lord. Because Paul says that that's the fullness of time came. God sent his son. He died on a cross. He was resurrected. We have hope of salvation. It's not God that's entangling us. He's providing us the way out. He's providing us the way to be reconciled back to him because the sin that we committed have separated us from him. It's not others that are entangling us. We can't blame others for it. Look over in Philippians chapter 2. This is an, this is an <laughs> easy one to... To, to be guilty of sometimes, isn't it? To put the blame where it doesn't belong. To put the blame on someone else. To say, that person is holding me down. That person is entangling me with the cares of this world. 
how Paul states it as he writes to the Philippians here in Philippians 2, verse 12, beginning. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is, uh, who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. So the things that we are practicing, the, uh, the, the righteousness that we are seeking after, we're doing that in the midst of a perverse generation. We're doing that in the midst of the world. Remember I mentioned earlier about being sojourners and, and pilgrims passing through? This echoes that, doesn't it? We have to work out our own salvation. There's God right there in the middle of verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's not God that's entangling us. He's helping us. He's trying to help us through this. He's told us what we are to do. He's given us his word. He's given us his son. And we can't blame others either because God expects us to do what we are supposed to do in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. So we can't get away with blaming others. I gave you a couple of knots. So let's see who it is that's entangling you. And really it comes down to To me. I'm entangling me. You are entangling you. Please don't discount the work of Satan. Let's not discount the work of the devil. But when it comes down to it, we have that say. What am I going to do? Am I going to be, let myself be entangled in the cares of the world? Or am I going to rise above it? Over in Joshua chapter 24, we have this wonderful speech here as Joshua concludes his, his time as leader of the Israelites. Joshua 24, beginning verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And Joshua's time is coming to a conclusion, and just like Moses did before him, he's, he's telling the children of Israel the things they need to keep in mind. And he's telling them here to, to, to put away idols, to put away idolatry, to put away those things that separate you from God, and do what? Serve the Lord. Put away those idols, the things that your fathers and, and forefathers did before them. Put away those things. Verse 15, and if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve. You see, there's where it comes back to this. You make the decision. Are you going to be entangled and encumbered by sin? Or are you going to overcome that? Choose for yourself. Whether the gods your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, and whose land you are living. See, they, idolatry has been a problem for a long, long time. All the way back to the days of the patriarchs, idolatry has been a problem. It continued to be a problem, even through the, uh, the, the wandering in the wilderness of the, the children of Israel and their entrance into the land, and it's still a problem. 
Still a problem today. But then Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's where the decision comes down. Choose yourself. Are you going to serve these gods? Are you going to serve Jehovah? Are you going to serve the God that delivered his people out of the land of Egypt, out of the bondage of Pharaoh, and performed all these miraculous things along the way, demonstrating his love and his care and his faithfulness to his promise? Is that the God you're going to serve? Are you going to serve these carved images, these dumb gods that are nothing more than the creation and the fashioning of the mind of man? We get to make that decision. It's really very clear. It's one or the other. Back to the text that we started with. Therefore, Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I hope we have a little bit clearer understanding of this, maybe. We have these witnesses around us. What was written there in chapter 11, all these things, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Noah, All these examples of faith. So, we have all these witnesses around us. They were able to lay aside the encumbrances and serve God. So why can't we? Run with endurance this race that is set before us. It is a race. It does require endurance. But there's a wonderful prize at the end of the race. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus has gone on before us. He's run that race. Fixing our eyes on him. He for the joy set before him. What joy is that? That's the joy in fulfilling God the Father's plan of salvation. John speaks of that in his gospel quite a bit. Jesus says, I have come here to fulfill my my Father's plan, and it gives me joy to do so. So he had something set before him, and he ran that race. Now, let's fix our eyes on him and run the race. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. He was in a perverse and wicked generation just like we are. The world is always going to be that way. We have to come out of that world and be those pilgrims and those sojourners. That's what Jesus did. So that you may not grow weary and lose heart. All these things that we've talked about and much, much more, God has given us so that we can run this race, run it with endurance and not lose heart. Sin so easily entangles us if we let it. It can encumber us, bring us down. But God gives us the way of escape. And he gives, us, gives that to us through our faith in him. It requires something on our part. It surely does. It requires our faith. It requires our obedience. It requires us making that decision. Who am I going to serve? Am I going to serve the world? Or am I going to serve God? It's a simple 
choice. I would encourage you to fix your eyes on Jesus. He's given there as an example. Yes, it took his, uh, his sacrifice and all to, bl- to blaze the path and to, and to fulfill the law, but he also serves as that example of obedience and servitude and faith. We can look to him, and we can know all these things. I would encourage you to do that. If you're not a child of God, I would encourage you to study and to understand what it means to be a child of God. That you have to hear and and believe that this is the word of God. And that Jesus has come to redeem mankind from his sins. And recognizing that, you have to understand that there's a change that needs to happen in your life. That you need to turn from a life in the world and turn to a life lived to serving God. You have to repent. You have to confess that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. And that recognition that it took the Son of God to save mankind. And in recognizing that, that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and confess to others indeed, then you're a candidate for baptism. When you go in those waters... You wash away those sins, not from removing dirt from the flesh, as Peter says there in 1 Peter 3, 21. Not removing the dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. See, we have to be baptized in order to be saved. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Those are convicted of their sins. They say, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent, every one of you, and be baptized for the remission of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's how we come in contact with the blood of Jesus. That's how we come in contact with his death and his burial and his resurrection. We come up out of those waters a, a new creature to walk in newness of life. And then it is our responsibility to do what we've been talking about this morning. Walk in faith, to run the race with endurance, to not be entangled by the sins and the cares of this world, not be encumbered by those things, to remain faithful to God. If you need the prayers of the congregation, whatever they might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.